With great mojo comes great responsibility. Mojo Five O. Mojo Five O. We will make America great again. Sam Sorbo. Show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. We have facts, some fallacies, and some satire. There's a lot to discuss in today's show, so let's get right into it. Uh, I've got some great audio for you. Uh, I've got some great statistics for you. Also, they're planning on reopening schools in the fall. Wait till you hear what's in their roadmap. This is fascinating stuff. Before I get into all of that, I just have a little bit of advice for you. I've been collecting little tidbits of advice, of advice here and there. Not of vice, of advice. <laughs> it's the difference from vice to advice is there's a big difference there. Um, and this one comes to me. I can't remember where I got this one, but uh, I know that it can make you sad to look at pictures from your youth. So there's a trick to it. And um, the, the real trick is to not look at the later pictures <laughs> because then you have nothing to compare, you see. All right. Avi Yamini is a YouTube guy that we were talking about yesterday. And I want to continue because um, there's not enough time to go through uh, to, to get to everything. He, he was on his way to the big march on behalf of George Floyd, a known convicted criminal. Um, And yet people are coming out in droves to protest the police brutality that led seemingly to this man's untimely death. Uh, the, The issue that Avi has, and Avi is a, quote, man of color, Um, The issue that he has is he 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 likes statistics. He likes the truth. Sorry, I'm going to turn this up a little bit. There we go. All right. I guess I'm having a little bit of a volume issue. Somebody must have knocked my volume. All right. Why do they let other people into my studio? I don't know. Okay, so 40,000 people descended on Melbourne. And this guy's out talking with everybody. And so I want to play you some uh, little bits and pieces from the report that he put together. Uh, Wait, just listen to this. This is him talking to some people on a train. George Floyd is just one of many and it's been happening since, you know. Yeah, I understand that. but, But the problem is that statistically, actually, white people are killed at a higher rate by police in police custody, unarmed white people, more unarmed white people. Are... Yeah, where are you going to go? That's from PR News. Yeah, no. Are you are you arguing with the statistic, or you just don't like it? I think you need to talk to people of color and get their voices. I'm a person of color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay. So the person talking to him is saying to him, "You need to talk to a person of color to get their voice." It's, it's just statistics and facts be damned. You need to hear the opinions and the emotions from a person of color. And this is a white guy with pink hair who's telling him this, who, who took his mask off to tell him this. Now, arguably, the mask is to protect other people. Unless I've missed the train again, they did keep switching it back and forth. My understanding is the mask is to protect other people from your 
exhalations. So to remove your mask in order to speak to somebody is actually an act of aggression. Uh, right? And of course, they were be- feeling aggressive towards him because he was hitting them with some facts that more white people are killed by police than black people. Now, of course, the great argument against that is, yeah, well, there are fewer black people. Yes, but there are more black people in custody. So you would think that more black people would be killed by police. And of course, uh, to recap from yesterday, this individual, Avi Yamini, was going to this rally or protest armed with the knowledge that there was an Australian white woman who had been killed by a black police officer in Minnesota. And none of the people at the protest had any idea that she had ever existed, much less had been shot while unarmed by a black police officer. And and so his he doesn't actually ask this question, but one of the questions that this raises is, if a black police officer shoots a white woman, is that racism? And that, I think, is a, is a pertinent question. The majority of black murders, um, he, 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 he talks to somebody elsewhere in the crowd, and, and her statistic is, well, the majority of black murders aren't by black people which is patently untrue. He says, but, but that's not the truth. But does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. To these people, the truth doesn't matter. And that's dangerous. All right, we're going to go, we're going to jump ahead. He is, um, he's still speaking to people on the train. And this interaction, let's see. Uh, in in this these interactions, we are going to compare. Let's see if I can find it. Listen to this. Who shot dead an unarmed white woman in her PJs? He must have accidentally committed that horrific crime. But the officer that was pinning down George Floyd, who was a violent thug who just committed a violent offence, that police officer, while he was pinning him down to restrain him. He must have done it on purpose, even though he was being filmed. Now, I'm not saying it's right. Neither are right. It is wrong, and he should be punished. But these people, they think, on one hand, a blatant crime that's obviously perpetrated on purpose, or at least much more likely to be a purposeful act. He's talking about the shooting of an unarmed white woman by the black cop. They think then, on the other hand, when it happens... The other way around, that we've got to excuse it. It must have been an accident. Anyways, that's the end. Oh, sorry. That's the other. Right. There, yeah. No, that, that's right. And, and uh, so, there, so he's arguing that basically they have a double, double standard depending on the race, which makes them racist. There's a great article up. I think it's on The Federalist about the difference in the way that the left and the right view Racism itself, the different way that they define racism, which is really quite fascinating. And we're, we see it all the time, but, but um, this guy, and I'm going to have him on the show in the next couple of days, 
really sort of um, titrates it into just its its basic essence. The idea that um, it is racist if it disagrees with my ideology, but it's not racist as long as it conforms to my beliefs. And then that's the leftist version of racism. And the conservative version of racism is when you discriminate against somebody based or a group of people based on their color. But that's not the left's definition of racism. And so we ought not to be toiling under this mis, misapprehension, this, this, this mistaken um, understanding. By the way, the name of this video, in case you want to go look it up and watch the whole thing, is this is the only BLM protest video you need to see. Because he really breaks it down into its base elements. So here, you'll hear him talking to a group of people. And by the way, he talked to several throughout the video. And it's edited very nicely. They're interspersed with each other kind of thing. And they all behave this way. This was, this was one uh, interaction that I, I thought was, you know, poignant. Listen to this. The statistic for white people to die at the hands of police is much higher than the rate of... Yeah, Af- no? I don't really. We're going to go. You don't care about facts? Um, so they would like to make no further comments. Thank you. If you could ask someone who actually is involved with something like oh, this. Oh, you're not. But you we got are involved. Black. Do you, okay, one last word. Do white lives matter? It's not about white or black. Black people are misrepresented in the justice system, and this is what this is about. Okay, so these are three different groups. The first group just walked away from him. He's already been told, well, in the video we see he's being told by one group, um, we are not supposed to talk to you. Uh, we are, we've been told not to talk to people of the press, and so we are not going to talk to you. Um, and here, this is another group, the, the group that we first heard, they just walked away. The moment that he started talking about actual facts, they walked away. The truth is so offensive to the lie that the lie cannot stand it, will not stand for it, and they must walk away. Um, but there's more to this because the, the female voice that you're going to hear, she is willing to engage, but not listen. This is another form of this insanity. And I've said it before. Leftism is a mental impairment. It's a disease. It's a mental disease. Okay, so listen to this. So these are more people walking away from him. I'm here for Indigenous Indigenous Australians, okay. I'm here for TJ Hickey, for all the Indigenous people who have been killed in custody. How many many, um, Indigenous Australians have been killed in custody? Over 432 since 1991. How many white Australians have been? Again, I'm not making this about white or black. Black people are overrepresented in the justice system and are killed in custody. This isn't black versus white. This but is it kind of is because it says uh, black lives matter. So it is. Yeah, I'm talking about black lives. Have you heard of a woman called Justine? So I'm not, it's not about black and white. I'm only talking about black. How is that at all logical? 
This isn't about black versus white. This isn't about race. We're just talking about black people. (laughs) So don't come at me with any kind of facts about comparisons. If a single black individual dies, then the entire system must be corrupt and it must come down. That is the narrative. And what's amazing to me is they get so many people to sign up for that. So she was, at least she was willing to engage, but she really wasn't because she refused, she refused to talk about anything but getting her point of view across. So she wasn't receiving anything from him. A police officer in the United States is 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a police officer. Again, 18 and a half times more likely for it to be a black male killing a police officer than an unarmed black male to be killed by a police officer. All right. So, you know what? That's enough of that for today. We'll do this in small doses because I find it intensely frustrating, frankly. Uh, I did want to I did want to play this for you. This is Chris Cuomo, and I want you to get a glimpse of the complete I would call it nincompoopery, but it's more dangerous than that. I think it's actually quite quite dangerous. So let me play you this clip and then uh, and then we'll talk about exactly how dangerous it is. Yes, you're justified in defending yourself and you hit someone. You're a thug. You're a criminal. You attack cops. You slap the media. You are in the wrong period. But I argue to you tonight, all punches are not equal morally in the eyes of the law. Yes. But in the eyes of good and evil, here's the argument. So. I can't help myself. In the eyes of the law, yes. But in the eyes of good and evil, so now he's just denigrated the entire legal system. Did you see that? It's very, very quick sleight of hand. Yes, the law has distinctions, but those aren't the distinctions of good versus evil. Those are just legal distinctions. This is a guy who will equivocate about anything. That's why this guy, while he was in COVID lockdown and while he was admonishing other people, hey, stay home, wear your masks, social distance, don't do anything, just sit tight, wait it out. While he was telling people to do that, he up and left his home with his family in the same car while he was in quarantine so, you know, quote unquote quarantine and went and visited elsewhere in the town where he lives. It was just out in public, no mask. Okay. This is a guy who says, sure, the law is one thing, but then there's right and wrong. Listen, if you're a punk who comes to start trouble in a mask and hurt people, you're not about any virtuous cause. You're just somebody who's going to be held to the standard of doing something wrong. But when someone comes to call out bigots and it gets hot, even physical, are they equally wrong as the bigot they are fighting 
I argue no. Fighting against hate matters. Now, how you fight matters, too. There's no question about that. But drawing a moral equivalency between those espousing hate and those fighting it because they both resort to violence emboldens hate. So there you go. Unless you stick up for the thugs, the looters and the rioters, you are hateful. And that's where we've come in this societal, cultural argument that we're having. There's only one side that's fully right. And when you're fully right, you can do whatever is in your power. Because there, there's, there's right and wrong, and then there's the law. This is the same mentality that the Nazis used. It's the same mentality. Congratulations, Chris, Chris Cuomo. You have now adopted fully, for everyone to see, this incredible and incredibly dangerous, uh, more uh, amoral worldview. Okay, because then, and by the way, the the Chiron, the banner, says no moral equivalency between Nazis and Antifa. I would argue that there is absolutely an equivalency between the Nazis and Antifa since they are one and the same. And the comparisons are myriad. The similarities, I should say. All right, under the reopening of the schools, the roadmap for reopening schools, June 2020, this comes from Arizona's government. It is a 41-page PDF that I got my hot little hands on. The Arizona Department of Education School Finance. So this is page 17 of this very lengthy document that uh, details, oh, a whole bunch of stuff. But this I just found fascinating. In Arizona, budget calculations for public schools are based on student enrollment counts over the first 100 days of instruction, weighted based on the unique characteristics of the schools and the students. Full funding or additional requirements to receive funding for student enrollment is then based on the number of instructional days and hours a student spends in an academic course of study. In preparation for the next school year, there have been growing concerns regarding public school budget stability due to potential shifts in student enrollment and attendance and the ability to expand and offer learning opportunities in either or both a traditional brick-and-mortar setting, or through a virtual platform. By the way, did you hear that the WHO came out, the WHO, the World Health Organization, that, that trusted body of medical information, and said, oh, you know what, COVID's actually not that transmissible if you're asymptomatic. Also, on a side note, Canada apparently is still requiring a 14-day quarantine for anybody entering the country from uh Anywhere else, I suppose, in the world, including the United States. La, la, la. I also saw the airlines are moving to require some kind of health passport for travelers. But back to the schools. I'm sitting here and rubbing my hands together. I'm hoping that parents are so fed up that they're done because that will only be good for the children. Okay, 
Districts and charters are seeking innovative ways to meet students' academic needs as well as the health and safety needs of all families and create flexible instructional models appropriate for their community. School leaders are exploring various instructional models in which students could learn from home on a partial or full-time basis. Why? Because they need the money. They need the money. They got to figure this out fast so that they can keep children enrolled and get the money. So, in order to continue education services in an uncertain and fluid environment caused by COVID-19, the following school finance issues must be addressed by state leaders for schools to remain operating. They want a budget floor to cover core costs. You can't just cut all of our funding if we lose all of our students. What if you have no students? Doesn't matter. We still need a budget floor. We still need money. Still got to pay people. You can't just lay off people just because they don't have any students, right? Or, that seems to be what they're saying, a flexible and adaptable way to provide distance learning that is tied to a brick-and-mortar school. Why? They want the money. Transportation route miles adjustment that allows for an increase in bus routes needed to accommodate fewer students on a bus at one time. Are you hearing the call for, for raising taxes yet? Are you hearing that yet? Because it's in here. It's buried in here. Listen to this. Considerations. This is just its own little separate considerations. Number one, limiting budgets from decreasing more than 2%. Just just all out limit it. If no students show up for school, doesn't matter. We're still going to pay the school. How can they do that? Well, they've already got your money. Number two, allowing for students who participate in person or remotely within the first 10 days of school to count as enrolled for the first day of the school calendar. They got to get the money, so they're going to change their guidelines. By the way, they did this with COVID. COVID wasn't giving the the figures that they were expecting. And they knew that right away. They knew it very early on. They're like, this is a pandemic. It's going to be horrible. Two million deaths. By the way, I don't know where they got the number for two million deaths, but okay, let's say that was just a mistake. But all of a sudden they're seeing it and they're going, you know what? It's it's not going to go to two million. It's not, it's just not going to get that high. What are we going to do? Let's just call everything COVID. We'll justify it by saying, you know, hospitals are going to be overwhelmed. There's nothing we can do here. We'll just, if you suspect that it's COVID, you just call it COVID. Never mind that that is completely antithetical to uh, modern medical practices, which stipulate you may not make a diagnosis until you are absolutely certain of the diagnosis In this case, no, we'll make an exception. You go ahead and diagnose everything as COVID because they needed those numbers. But it worked against them because then all of a sudden they had all of these extra COVID cases and not enough deaths to go around. And so the death count was low. But you know what? As long as the death toll kept rising, they could keep people in fear, which is what they did. It's really hard to watch 
I think that's the real struggle for me and my family is to watch what's happening and understand what's happening behind the scenes at the same time. So events are canceling. They, they just continue to cancel events. To, to, to what end? Nothing. They just, but they cannot, they won't admit that they were wrong. And so now in order to justify it, and I, you, you recall they were saying, well, it's the second wave. So it's going to be a second wave. And Fauci came out and said, yeah, I don't think there's going to be a second wave. Oh, well, Fauci, now you're, you're expendable. We don't need you anymore. So. All right. Number three, the ability to mark a student's absence as excused when related to issues of COVID concerns. So they don't have to know any particulars as long as the student says, oh, it's related to COVID. They're good to go. All right. Uh, Number four, accommodate the ability of districts or schools to offer flexible and adaptable instructional models by linking funding calculations to those models in a similar manner as regular instruction. So this is that old, as long as you have your student do some work and turn it in, we will count your student as here so we can get the, say it with me, money. It's all about the money. So that's just Arizona. I am certain that all of the states are doing this. They're all mobilizing. In fact, uh, in fact, the, uh, the, the Harvard professor who came out against home education has, has now done a further interview um, detailing her preferred plan for placing the burden of justification on parents for homeschooling their, ch- their own children. Oh, you want to homeschool? Well, what are your qualifications? None of your flipping business. Uh, Those are my qualifications, and I have them in spades. Okay. I'm a little snarky today. Well, you know, that's just part. It's just part and parcel, I suppose. I'm I'm getting frustrated by seeing all of these um, injustices, frankly. Nobody likes injustice. Specifically, logical people really don't like it. And to talk a little bit about that, I'm going to bring on Jeff Dickens. He's the deputy research director at the Media Research Center. And, of course, they've been doing yeoman's work on what's happening, in a sense, behind the scenes in the media. Um, And recently they came out with this um, study that they did where they've shown that over the past three years, the media has totally let Antifa off the hook. They, They won't even say what Antifa really is. And so we'll welcome Jeff Dickens to the program. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to speak to you. So talk to me about this. You guys have been at this for quite a while. What, what, do you, what, what were you expecting the media to do? Or, or not, not expecting, because we know the media, right? What should have the media been doing? Right, so you make a great point. Like For the last three years, really even longer, we just focused on the last three years, uh, Antifa has been involved in a lot of well criminal activity, but if you're watching sort of the mainstream uh, news networks, they either ignored it or completely downplayed it. 
and so I just kind of went through some examples. Uh, and also, not only that, but they've been promoting Antifa. Uh, Chuck Todd has been promoting it on MSM, on, on, sorry, on MSC Meet the Press. Uh, and it's, it's really remarkable because what we're seeing in some of the coverage of these protests is you actually even have some of these uh, sort of the more peaceful protesters going up to these Antifa garbed, uh, you know, the whole black and black outfits. And they're, they're doing these Antifa protesters are actually destroying property. And they're telling them, hey, don't do this. We're going to get blamed for it uh, if you keep doing this. And, and, and some of them are even saying, this is my this is my own small business that I own. And you're throwing, you know, bricks into the window. And so they're just they're, they're this disruptive far left, really anar- anarchist group. And the media really has not reported the truth about them. Well, and and of course, you know, I look at them and I say, well, their name means anti-fascist, but that's not what they are. But the media takes them at their word. No, they say they're anti-fascist, therefore they must be against fascism, except that their behavior is itself fascist. Oh, so, you're absolutely right. They're, yeah, shutting down speech. Yeah, that's sorry. No, that's no, that's fine. They're shutting down speech. They're behaving violently in order to enact change. They're using intimidation tactics. That's all fascism. And and then my other problem, of course, with that is that. Um, oh, my gosh, I completely lost my train of thought uh, that, that the fascism that they're exhibiting, that 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 people don't understand that fascism is leftism because the communist waged such a fantastic campaign pro-communism and and called the Nazis fascist and said, well, fascism was wrong, but communism was good. But the, the fact is that fascism and communism are inextricably linked and fascism has nothing to do with conservatism. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I kind of just want to also alert your listeners to uh, the articles that we've been doing on newsbusters.org uh, and just to sort of bring up another example, uh, the Fox News host, Tucker Carlson, uh, in 2018, you had Antifa activists actually showed up uh, right. at his house right. and, and actually knocked, were knocking on the door so hard that they actually broke the, uh, the door down or broke the hinges. Uh, and his, at the time, I think his, his, uh, Tucker's wife was there. I think his kids were there. Um, and this is, and, and this is this got pretty much almost zero coverage on the nets. I think uh, CBS Evening News was the only major network broadcast to even mention it. The attack. So, so they're actually running cover for Antifa. It, it's not. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, you know, and you had uh, uh, Chuck Todd brought on uh, on uh, Antifa supporter Mark Bray, who wrote a whole, wrote a whole book uh, on on sort of just the. Pushing Antifa propaganda, he had him on his MSNBC show, MTV Daily, and also uh, beat the press. It just gave him a platform. And this is, I mean, this is, uh, you know, President Donald Trump is, is, wants to call them a, a or have the uh, them named an official domestic terrorist group. And if you look at the the evidence over the years, they are in fact uh, doing violence and attacking people and uh, honestly, they're really not helping uh, the liberal cause because. No. Uh, but but you wouldn't know it because the networks will report on it. You know what? I, I actually appreciated uh, Donald Trump saying, you know what, Antifa is a terrorist organization. Let's just call it what it is. The problem is that they have so derided President Trump. They basically 
um, whatever he says now to 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 a leftist, to anybody from uh, the the other side, right? To even the moderate Democrats who really just aren't—they're just not aware, right? If he says that, they're like, "Yeah, so what? No, we don't believe you." We, you know, like because because they've they've tarnished his brand to such a degree. Don't you agree? Uh, yeah, they're they're obviously anyone on on the liberal to the left side is not going to take anything that Trump says seriously. But uh, they should, at least certainly in this case, because uh, again, I've said, I said I'm amazed at some of the footage that's coming out on on social media of where you do have even sort of like. Uh, the protesters, uh, the peaceful ones, you know, actually trying to stop these. And usually it's, it's white suburban kids that are just trying to find a way to act out. Uh, but they're being used and exploited by these hard leftists that uh, are trying to just like to be things like defunding the police. I mean, it's, just, it's anarchy that they want. Right. It It is anarchy that they want. And And here's the thing, like kids, Kids typically they they want to shake things up. They want new. They want something different. They have no idea what they want. My problem is that because of Antifa, they are now organized. And I mean, I I was on Twitter this morning watching as in Chicago they were looting directly off of a train. So they didn't even bother with the store. Why bother with the middleman? Um, you know, the, the, this is the, it, uh, those things just fell off a truck, you know, uh, they, <laughs> and they were looting a lot of flat screen TVs and the train was moving and they were looting off the train. And then other videos showing the organizers meeting on a side street, getting coordinated before they go to the protest and the organizer at the protest saying, Hey, so we want you to be over here and you, you know, you're going to start here and. Handing out bricks, handing out bricks. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a coordinated effort. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation about who's behind it and who's funding it. Well, actually, we know uh, George Soros has funded uh, uh, Black Lives Matter, and we know uh, there are elements in Black Lives Matter that, that have, have turned violent and are, are anarchists as well. Uh, same with Antifa. So it's definitely you're right. It's a coordinated effort, and and that it, I see that story you're talking about. That sounds like just a, a criminal, a crime organization, a criminal organization. Well, yeah, but that, but that's but that's Antifa. It's a criminal organization, and now it's a terrorist organization as designated by our president. And and the question is whether the media, the mainstream media, is going to. Well, they're certainly not going to offer any kind of apology. Are they going to change their tune? Uh, I'd hope, but, uh, you know, it, I would not expect anything before this election is over. <laughs> it might be some, right. If they get their way and, and say Joe Biden and Democrats win uh, in 2020, there might be uh, an, 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 a recrimination. I would never I, say I would, that. I would, even, <laughs> I would even wait on that. I would even wait on that. Yeah. No. So, uh, yeah. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Joe Biden came out against... Um, um. Oh, dang! What What did he just come out against? I thought it was fascinating. He, did, he, he knocked down uh, the the fund police thing. Yeah. So because you can't you can't win a general election with that stance. Even he recognizes that. <laughs> yeah, but I but I was but there are a lot of people out there who are who are thinking that this is a good idea. By the way, um, I don't know that much about how law enforcement sort of works. 
But I'm told that if they defund the police, then what happens is the sheriffs step in and then they get they bill the city for the sheriff work that they do, which is the same as police policing. Right. There you go. So let me the point too, like this. What's so nuts about that is like if you did defund a police department in, in an area, well, what happens is like, well, maybe the people in the gay of the communities and those of us who are second amendment uh supporters and are, are willing to actually <laughs> i'm getting right. a sign we'll, from my door <laughs> you know we'll we'll be okay but what about those who don't believe in the second amendment and who can't afford like private gated to live in a private gated communities you're kind of screwing over the poor if you defund the police well <laughs> you know? that's it right it's 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 the poor and the and mainly in the the uh, minority and the crime-ridden communities. And by the way, you know, criminals are looking at this going, I think I'm going to head to Minnesota. That, that sounds good to me. Um, so yeah. they're not doing anybody any favors. No, I have a good friend who lives in, in uh, Minneapolis, and uh, she is she, uh, she and her husband own guns. And uh, they've been, <laughs> during the pandemic, they were so, so definitely uh you know, adding to their ammo supplies. And, and, and so I, I, yeah, I don't think you'd be in favor of defunding the police right now. No, of course not. But it, it, why? Okay. We have to, we have to come to terms with this. There's actually a great op-ed up um, and I'm forgetting where it is, but I just, I just read it this morning about this idea. It's Matt Vespa that, that we're in a war and um, the, conservatives have sort of been MIA sort of like, well, yeah, okay, but I'm busy getting work done. You know, I'm busy building my business or I'm busy doing this other thing or, or what have you. And meanwhile, Antifa and leftists have taken a hold of our culture and our cultural institutions. And so we see them tearing down statues and, you know, I come down on both sides of the statue thing they, they're the one statue they're tearing down. I heard they're actually putting into storage and and stuff. I don't like to deny history, but I understand if people feel a certain way about something. But the problem is those people typically are uneducated. And why are they uneducated? Because our education system has failed to educate, has ceased has ceased to pursue education for most people. And well, yeah, yeah. It's not only that, and it's something. I make a great point about Mount Vespa made about like conservatives are losing a cultural battle. It's not even so much that uh, they're not educating. It's what are they teaching the kids? They're teaching them. And it's really in, in academia and the university level, there's teaching them. If they're taking a politics course, it's going to be hard left. It's going to be about, right. This is where all this Antifa stuff comes from. Right. Uh, is, is our is the universities. And that has, of course, uh, seep down into the, into the public high schools and junior high schools as well. Oh, it's so, all the way and, it's all the way through now. And and he makes this point. He says, you know, we used to say, well, they'll they're just you know they're that way. They're in college. The problem is they graduate and then they become the teachers, and then pretty soon they're dictated. They become the the teachers. They become the journalists. They become the mm-hmm. filmmakers. They you know. And now it's pervasive in our culture. This message. The 1619 project has now been adopted at public school level in high school to teach children how terrible the United States is. All evidence to the contrary. All evidence to the contrary. No, you're right. And, and 
you make a, I don't know if you've been following this, this whole situation that Barry uh, Weiss, who's a New York Times uh, columnist, but she's wrote a book a few years ago about campus reform and how like there is all this craziness going on college campuses. And, and she's mostly liberal, but she's kind of an honest liberal. She sees what's going on and calls it. And, and she's, she was talking about, she, she was being made fun of because like, well, why are you worried about college campuses? Cause they're just a bunch of, you know, it's college. The kids are nuts in college. And, but she said, no, so all this, the speech code stuff, eventually these Kids are going to graduate in four years, and they're going to join the workforce. And sure enough, now you have this tension at the New York Times between sort of the older – now, they're all leftists over there. But you have older liberals who still believe kind of in a, in a, a degree of free speech, like, well, we should be able to report on all sides. And then you have this new generation right. coming up. It's like, oh, no, if I feel triggered, I need my safe space. It should not be reported. I shouldn't have to hear it. I shouldn't right. have to be around it. And well, that's what so happened with the Tom Cotton. The that's what happened yes. with the Tom Cotton editorial. Mm-hmm. So tell tell us about that, because my, my listeners may or may not know. Well, Tom Cotton is a Republican senator, and he wanted to, uh, he, well, he, he did publish a, a column, and then there was this fight within the New York Times about uh, about what he what the column was about. And so you had, now you have uh, one of the editorial uh uh By the way, uh, it was an editorial yes. column. It was an opinion piece. Yes. It was, I think... Uh, military is a reasonable option if it if it escalates, something like that, right? Right. And so and uh, he's had not one, entitled to his opinion. Exactly. No. And then so you already had one uh, one editorial uh, chief resign uh, over this, and it's it. But yeah, it's like it's like oh no, this is you can't. This Wait, is where they are now. But don't gloss over that. I mean, that's yeah. really that is a very important point, right? So Tom Cotton wrote this piece and they published it to their credit, to the, to the New York Times credit. Clearly they would, they, they don't agree right. with it. That's not their position at all, but they're like, Hey, um, you know, controversy sells. Let's publish this and see what happens. Well, the viewership or it wasn't even the viewership. It was the Antifa, the fascists out there, the Antifa fascists. Okay. Who came down and said, how dare you publish anything that might support police or military in the New York Times at all. And that resulted in the editor, the the main editor who was apparently in charge, you know, who was going to fall on their own sword. It, it resulted in them being canceled. They are over now. This, I mean, this is profound. This I'm, and I'm, and here's the thing: like I'm, I'm not a fan of the New York Times. I'm not a fan of that editor, but I'm, but I'm certainly not a fan of the next person. Do you know what I mean? Who's right. now going to kowtow to the fascist leftists that are now running the show? I, I would not be surprised if this ends up being that. I mean, we're already seeing a lot of sort of traditional. Uh, news outlets starting to, you know, they're failing. Uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't, I can never believe the New York Times because I, growing up, even though yeah. I knew it was liberal, great was lady. kind of an institution. But I would not be surprised if this leads to them just becoming a, a blog at some point. You know, because yeah. it's just like they can lose the audience over this. Because like, because even fair my even fair minded liberals. Yeah, I guess of an older generation would be like, well, "This is ridiculous. I'm not going to read this anymore." Yeah, or subscribe. It's an expensive su- subscription, by the way. So the so the here's the question, right? It's a race. Mm-hmm. 
we we are actually in a race. And so the leftists have now they have so much power that they can shift the New York Times, right? And you're right. saying, well, maybe the New York Times will go under. And I'm saying, well, maybe it won't because maybe the leftism has taken such hold in our youth that our youth will then flock to this sort of it's a it's this self-fulfilling echo chamber of of I can't even call it thought, but agreement right. with with whatever their their um, whatever their thoughts are these days, which are the prescribed thoughts that they got from schooling. And so, you know, if they're replacing all the editors with uh, 26-year-old up-and-comers who have graduated from the leftist now institutions and they've been K-12 through all the way through graduate school in leftism and they are the ones who have the power and are running the show, then how is even even a self-described liberal going to be able to stand up to them? And I would say they won't. They can't. No, so, you're right. You know, to yes. Matt, Vesta's, Matt Vespa's point, um, we need to buck up and really start, oh, we got to get the war going. We got to nip this in the bud. We got to figure out how to combat this because otherwise we're going to lose the we're going to lose the battle and the war. Do you know what I mean? We we're losing battles is what I'm seeing. And the and yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, I and I think uh, man, I think it probably starts at the parental level like, you know, what what are your kids being taught in school? You need to check on that. Uh, you know, what, you, what, you now what, you're speaking my language, you know that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, just you have to See what's what's in the textbooks. What's what are they being? And I mean, increasing more. But like, what online resources are they being uh, directed towards? Of course. Uh, and, and what are the teachers teaching them? Of course. <laughs> well, that I mean. So this was the. I think that uh, there's a a blessing that came through COVID, and that was that parents were forced to spend time with their kids, and were forced, in a sense, to homeschool. Now. It wasn't the real homeschooling. I'm a homeschooler and I know what real homeschooling is. And, you know, getting materials from your public or private school and then dispersing them to your children is not really home education per se. Mm -hmm. But at least it was a start. And at least the parents could say, my gosh, what are they teaching the kids? This is dumb. Or maybe the parent could say, I could do a much better job than this with my kids. And, of course, that would be my dream, especially on behalf of the kids. But here's, yeah, here's the, here's the question that I'm going to start posing to people. Do you have a problem with the looters and the rioters? Well, yes. Right. The answer is always going to be yes. They shouldn't be looting and rioting except Chris Cuomo, who apparently says, no, if it's good rioting, then I agree <laughs> with it. Um, but for the most part, people still believe that looting and rioting is wrong because why? Because they like personal property and so they don't want somebody to feel justified in taking their personal property. Okay. But then my question is, but you're teaching your child survival of the fittest. So how do you justify disagreeing with the rioters and the looters? Because it's just survival of the fittest. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, uh, it really is. I think you're right. It really starts at home. Uh, I mean, I was lucky. I had uh, I had parents that were very politically active, and and they uh, I kind of came up. I was I was grew up as a 
uh, I don't know, you know, Reagan. I had, I had sort of big memories of Jimmy Carter, but Reagan was basically the first president I really grew up under. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, and I remember the way they attacked Reagan. I remember the, I, I only, I think it's worse now. I think they're just oh, so no, it's, a, about it's, it it's absolutely worse because they feel like they have the upper hand. Um, and they have a target, right? So under Obama, they, they were, they were active, but they were trying to let him do his thing and it was never enough and it was never, you know, right. satisfactory to them, but they, they were, um, but he, he was an ally. Um, now they've got somebody to target. Listen, I've really enjoyed, um, chatting with you and, uh, newsbusters.org is the place to go and find all of this, this, this stuff. Um, Jeff Dickens has been my guest. So thank you so much for coming on and also for mentioning that parents really should talk politics with their kids, even from a, even from a young age. Talk mm-hmm. politics, talk about current events, get your kids involved because they're going to be battling this battle going forward. Don't we know that? So. Amen. Thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. All right. So uh, before I go, oh, we're winding down. I got a few minutes. Um, so Obianuju Ikiocha is a, a black woman who is pro-life on Twitter. And I just started following her because um, she's gorgeous and says really smart things and stuff. And I saw this, I I don't know, let's see, she's got, well, she's got 106,000 followers, so (laughs) I'm not alone, clearly. Um, And she's, she's very outspokenly pro-life, which I, which is why I love her. But she said this, she said, I had to say something about American politicians shamelessly and ignorantly using the Kenty fabric as a prop in their virtue signaling. I don't know if you saw it, but um, on the Hill, was it yesterday or the day before, all of the Democrats went into a room and they took a knee for, I think, 7.46 minutes or something, as long as the knee was on the neck of um, uh, Brown. No, what? Um, oh, gosh. Anyway, uh, as long as the cop had his knee on the neck of the, of the um, victim. Anyway. And then the funny part, sadly, the funny part was Nancy Pelosi couldn't get up off her knees, so she had to reach out to get somebody to come over and help her up. Um, but Obianuju, and I'm probably just butchering her name, and I'm sorry about that, um, she came out with this, this um, video talking about sort of what, what these people are doing by wearing the Kenty scarves. So it's okay to cultural to do cultural appropriation if you're a Democrat. And then she put she put a little asterisk. She's like, I'm usually more mild mannered than this, so please forgive me. I'm upset. She actually doesn't appear to be terribly upset, except that she took to Twitter and made a video. Listen. Excuse me, dear Democrats, in your tokenism, you didn't wait to find out that this thing that you're hanging around your neck is not just some African uniform. It's actually the kente material. The kente belongs to the Ghanaian people, mainly the Ashanti tribe. Excuse me, Democrats. Don't treat Africans like we're children. These fabrics and these, you know, colorful things that we have within our culture and tradition, they all mean something to us. I know you look at us.
class and you say, oh, Africans, you're so cute in all your colorful dresses. Well, some of those dresses and patterns and, and colors and fabrics actually do mean something to us. Some of them belong to ancient tribes and mean something to them. So why are you using it as your own show of uh, non-racism or your own show of virtue? Why are you using the kente material to signal your virtue? Stop it. To signal your virtue. See, solidarity. Uh, so people started posting on Twitter, which is always a fun thing to do. Um, and it's and somebody posted a photo. So there's a photo of Nancy Pelosi. This is either before or after. Um, she's got some funky-looking mask on. Uh, next to Chuck Schumer, he's wearing a mask. Of course, they're all wearing masks. And they all have this scarf. So some PR person said, hey, let's get them all to wear the Kente uh, fabric as a scarf to show solidarity. With what? With what? And, um, and then we'll, they'll, they'll take a knee. Anyway, there's the photo of Nancy with the scarf, Chuck with the scarf, some other Democrats in the background with the scarves and masks. And Nancy's standing with her hands on her hips, kind of a threatening pose. And Chuck has his arms crossed. He's also got kind of a threatening look on his face. I'm not really sure why. But the the Twitter was posted with, caption this photo, which is always fun, what people come up with. And so this photo is captioned with, does this scarf make me look black? <laughs> There's also a photo of Hillary Clinton with an Afro whatever it takes, captioned whatever it takes. The photo of Nancy trying to get up off the floor. Help, I've pandered and I can't get up because they're pandering. And then uh, another caption for that angry looking photo, you ain't black. Uh, Joe Biden wearing cornrows in his hair. You ain't black. Um, here's another caption for the angry Pelosi Schumer photo. They took our racism away. We're bringing it back. There's a great photo of a comparison meme with Trump walking in front of some troops, some riot looks to be riot troops. And then all of the Democrats kneeling in a separate photo, obviously. And over Trump, it says leaders find solutions and the rest kneel which I love. In fact, uh, Trump has glommed onto that and tweeted, um, um, we don't kneel in the United States. And other people, somebody else tweet, just tweeted, uh, who's, who's going to kneel today? You know, like, that's fun. Um, here's another caption. Democrats are protesting the way Democrat-run states and cities treat black people. Now go vote Democrat. And by the way, cultural appropriation is okay if you're a Democrat. And they have the donkey with the uh, Kente fabric scarf on. My favorite was this one. I, I'm sure you're aware that they painted Black Lives Matters on one of the streets leading up to the White House. There's a meme of, uh, maybe this is Pennsylvania Avenue, um, and it says Trump is your president as if it were painted on the street of D.C., which I just thought was clever because there's a tiff between the president and the mayor of D.C. All right, that's my show for today. Please go to my YouTube, talking about sex with your kids this whole week. I know, that's interesting, right? It's not comfortable, but it's worth it. Um, go to my YouTube, 
Go to samsorbo.com, sign up for my newsletters. And uh, uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening. Oh, follow me on Twitter, you know, all that good stuff. Now go have a great rest of your day.